Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Right. Okay. Can I just establish something? It's David Cox. <laughs> and I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we're looking at the final chapter. The last... It's the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, Boxer got taken to the Knackers and Sorry. is no more. And basically got sold for a cask of whiskey. Yep. Now, in essence, yeah. I find it hard to judge the pigs for that because I am quite a whiskey fan myself. But... <laughs> I think during the lockdown, there was a point in time where I would have sold my own body for the glue factory <laughs> for a, <laughs> a cask of whiskey. So, you know, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> so but when you say selling your own body, it has a very different connotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> I now realise this. Plus, that wouldn't have been COVID safe, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah I mean, true. So we left last chapter on a bit of a downer uh boxer is no more the animals squealer tried to sweet talk it out of it saying that the uh the vet hadn't repainted over the cart yet and that's why it still said horse slaughterer which is a big mix-up i think even as a human if a vet was turning up to treat my animals and it said horse slaughterer uh-huh. i'd be pretty suspect <laughs> yeah PR, PR minefield right there just morally, as a vet, I wouldn't be interested in purchasing that vehicle. No, you'd at I, least be, you'd at least like you know all the job, lots and lots of tasks you have to do when you start a business. I would imagine it would be quite high up there. Plus, you'd want to get yourself out there. You'd want to have your well, that's logo, it. the number of the vet on there. <laughs> job one, buy the van. Job two, paint the van. Job three, make money. Yeah. Right. Should we dive in? Because I mean, I'm I'm intrigued just to see if this if these pigs ever get their comeuppance, I have a horrible, horrible feeling that because looking at the current government and Boris Johnson and how he never seems to get his comeuppance, that Orwell will probably follow real life and these people will just get away scot-free. Nice guys finish last or nice yeah. animals finish last. It's true. It's so we shall see. So let's dive straight in. Chapter 10. Years passed. The seasons came and went. The short animals' lives fled by. A time came when there was no one who remembered the old days before the rebellion, except Clover, Benjamin, Moses the Raven, and a number of the pigs. So does that mean that literally they've just kind of said that all of the poultry and other animals like that have basically died as well. They've all died. So it's a yeah. lovely, lovely, positive, cheery start to the chapter. Everybody that doesn't live longer than five years is now dead. Yeah. Great. Keep going. It's a swift turnaround <laughs> on Animal Farm. But we see, so... It's not going to get any, uh, any, any brighter, I'm afraid, with this next sentence. Oh, God. This probably makes it a lot easier for Napoleon to keep charge when you've got people who now, like, if, if only three people on the farm remember what it was like before under Mr. Jones, then they've got nothing to compare it to. It's a very good point, you know, because we, we can't really make that comparison for us, can we? Because the life expectancy of one human is pretty close to another. And so we're all living on the same timeline, whereas these yeah. are effectively, you know. That's true. Interesting. Never thought of it like that. You don't. Yeah. I mean, we never know, though. Let's have a look at the proletariat in USSR. Maybe they might have had a much shorter lifespan. Maybe. But not compared to each other. They're all the same bleak, low life expectancy. No, it's true. Not it's like true. chicken versus horse. <laughs> Who would win? No, it was in. <laughs> Muriel was dead. Oh God. oh, God. Sorry about that. Just write her off. Bluebell, Jesse and Pincher were dead. Jones, too, was dead. He had died in an inebriate's home in another part of the country. Snowball was forgotten. Boxer was forgotten, except by the few who had known him. Clover was an old, stout mare now, stiff in the joints and with a tendency to roomy eyes. She was two years past the retiring age, but in fact, no animal had ever actually retired. The talk of setting aside a corner of the pasture for superannuated animals had long since been dropped. Napoleon was now a mature boar of 24 stone. Squealer was so fat that he could with difficulty see out of his eyes, 
<laughs> Can you imagine that? You've got so much fat and you're just like... He's so fat, he's so fat, fat you see. pouring over you. Like, oh. His forehead fat has just come down. And oh, yeah. What do you reckon one, his cheek fat or his forehead fat? I don't know. Maybe both. they're pressing against each yeah. other. Like, yeah. yeah. He's basically like, become pudding. That's what he is. <laughs> he's now just put... He is the consistency of pudding. Mmm. <laughs> Porky pudding. <laughs> I have let myself go. <laughs> <laughs> Only old Benjamin was much the same as ever, except for being a little greyer about the muzzle, and since Boxer's death, more morose and taciturn than ever. There were many more creatures on the farm now, though the increase was not so great as had been expected in earlier years. Many animals had been born to whom the rebellion was only a dim tradition, passed on by word of mouth, and others had been bought who had never heard mention of such a thing before their arrival. The farm possessed three horses now besides Clover. They were fine, upstanding beasts, willing workers and good comrades, but very stupid None of them proved able to learn the alphabet beyond the letter B. <laughs> Did it just say that the farm bought animals? Yeah. Others had been others had been bought. Yeah. Bought. And the work finally worked out what money looks like. I don't know, but I guess that yeah. It seems very kind of not communist then, really, is it? If like the, the state owns you, it's like essentially it's like slavery, isn't it? I mean, animals had been bought and he said like the farm owned three horses like yeah the farm possessed three horses i think very have, like yeah. anti-animalism of like everyone being equal in stark opposition i feel yeah yeah they accepted everything that they were told about the rebellion and the principles of animalism especially from clover for whom they had an almost filial respect but it was doubtful whether they understood very much of it the farm was more prosperous now, and better organised. It had even been enlarged by two fields which had been bought from Mr Pilkington. The windmill had been successfully completed at last, Hooray. and the farm possessed a threshing machine and a hay elevator of its own, and various new buildings had been added to it. Wimper had bought himself a dog cart. The windmill, however, had not, after all, been used for generating electrical power. It was used for milling corn and brought in a handsome money profit. The animals were hard at work building yet another windmill. When that one was finished, so it was said, the dynamos would be installed. <laughs> so it's literally just each one. Oh, oh no, we're gonna have to use it. No, to so we, money. No, we'll, so we'll, we'll make another one. You'll be able to watch Gogglebox, but in three windmills yeah. time. Oh. Yeah, yeah, good. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, as a freelancer, I can't pay you for this job, but the next one will probably be a paid job. And then you're just like constantly yeah. mm -hmm. a fun. But the luxuries of which Snowball had once taught the animals to dream the stalls with electric light and hot and cold water, and the three-day week were no longer talked about. Napoleon had denounced such ideas as contrary to the spirit of animalism. The truest happiness, he said, lay in working hard and living frugally. <laughs> Says the heifer. Yeah, right. 24 stone much. <laughs> Says the guy who's like sidekick can't see anymore because of the amount of fat over his eyes. Oh, man. Is it like when we watch the Olympics and like the, the person you're supporting is like not doing very well? You're like, oh, God, you suck. You're running not very well. It's like, well, <laughs> they're incredible <laughs> specimens and you yeah. can't run five kilometers. Mm. So. They're still doing their 100 Check meters yourself. in under yeah. 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somehow it seemed as though the farm had grown richer without making the animals themselves any richer, except, of course, for the pigs and the dogs. Perhaps this was partly because there were so many pigs and so many dogs. It was not that these creatures did not work after their fashion, 
There was, as Squealer was never tired of explaining, endless work in the supervision and organization of the farm. Much of this work was of a kind that the other animals were too ignorant to understand. For example, Squealer told them that the pigs had to expend enormous labors every day upon mysterious things called files, reports, minutes, and memoranda. These were large sheets of paper which had to be closely covered with writing, and as soon as they were so covered, they were burnt in the furnace. This was of the <laughs> highest importance for the welfare of the farm, Squealer said. But still, neither pigs nor dogs produced any food by their own labour, and there were very many of them, and their appetites were always good. It seems weird, because normally in society, it's, it's a pyramid, to yeah. name, because you need yeah. loads of people at the bottom to support the wealthy and luxurious lifestyles of the people at the top. But here on Animal Farm, it seems to almost be the opposite, where you've got less animals working. If if this class is the biggest class, then surely that presents... That but then maybe it's because so of automation. Quickly. But it, maybe it's yeah. because of the automation, because of the windmill. That's the only thing that's basically making this model... Yeah, they've got to operate the thing, haven't they? And they've got to yeah. put all the stuff in, you know, get it all out. It'd still be a hell of an effort and with dwindling numbers like yeah. i'm i'm guessing the amount dying uh supersedes the amount being born because they're yeah, prioritizing you got to remember that in terms of if they're buying animals they're obviously prioritizing which animals can get more work done it makes a lot more sense to buy more horses than it does to get more sheep yeah, or, or ducks or goats you know no one's replacing muriel <laughs> <laughs> oh bless her little socks as for the others their life, so far as they knew, was as it had always been. They were generally hungry. They slept on straw. They drank from the pool. They laboured in the fields. In winter, they were troubled by the cold, and in summer, by the flies. Sometimes the older ones among them racked their dim memories and tried to determine whether in the early days of the rebellion, when Joan's expulsion was still recent, things had been better or worse than now. They could not remember. There was nothing with which they could compare their present lives. They had nothing to go upon except Squealer's lists of figures, which invariably demonstrated that everything was getting better and better. The animals found the problem insoluble. In any case, they had little time for speculating on such things now, only old Benjamin professed to remember every detail of his long life and to know that things never had been, nor ever could be, much better or much worse, hunger, hardship and disappointment being, so he said, the unalterable law of life. And yet the animals never gave up hope. More, they never lost, even for an instant, their sense of honour and privilege in being members of Animal Farm. They were still the only farm in the whole county, in all England, owned and operated by animals. Not one of them, not even the youngest, not even the newcomers who had been brought from farms 10 or 20 miles away, ever ceased to marvel at that. And when they heard the gun booming and saw the green flag fluttering at the masthead, their hearts swelled with imperishable pride, and the talk turned always toward the old heroic days, the expulsion of Jones, the writing of the Seven Commandments, the great battles in which the human invaders had been defeated. None of the old dreams had been abandoned. The Republic of the Animals, which Major had foretold, when the green fields of England should be untrodden by human feet, was still believed in. Someday it was coming. It might not be soon. It might not be within the lifetime of any animal now living, but still it was coming. Even the tune of Beasts of England was perhaps hummed secretly here and there. At any rate, it was a fact that every animal on the farm knew it, though no one would have dared to sing it out loud. It might be that their lives were hard and that all of their hopes had been fulfilled, but they were conscious that they were not as other animals. If they went hungry, 
it was not from feeding tyrannical human beings. If they worked hard, at least they worked for themselves. No creature among them went upon two legs. No creature called any other creature master. All animals were equal. One day in early summer, Squealer ordered the sheep to follow him and led them out to a piece of waste ground at the other end of the farm, which had become overgrown with birch saplings. The sheep spent the whole day there browsing at the leaves under Squealer's supervision. In the evening, he returned to the farmhouse himself, but as it was warm weather, told the sheep to stay where they were. It ended by their remaining there for a whole week, during which time the other animals saw nothing of them. Squealer was with them for the greater part of every day. He was, he said, teaching them to sing a new song for which privacy was needed. It was just after the sheep had returned, on a pleasant evening when the animals had finished work and were making their way back to the farm buildings, that a terrified neighing of a horse sounded from the yard. Startled, the animals stopped in their tracks. It was Clover's voice. She neighed again, and all the animals broke into a gallop and rushed into the yard. Then they saw what Clover had seen. It was a pig walking on his hind legs. Yes, it was Squealer. A little... <laughs> can you, can I, yeah, I, I imagine it would have been like when you know, a three or four-year-old puts on stilettos for the first time. Yes. (laughs) It's just like, oh, oh. And also, let's not forget how big Squealer is at this point. Gargantuan. Like, cloven hooves just are not built for that. I'd imagine it'd be absolutely, like, the shins would just be, like, collapsing. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm imagining a very sassy walk. He's very proud of himself right now, I reckon. I think it's going to be like hands on hips and he's going to be like this as he's walking into the yard. I reckon he's got French tips on his little uh, hoof toenails as well. Shark. And gloves up to the elbow. Sashay away. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was Squealer. A little awkwardly, as though not quite used to supporting his considerable bulk in that position, but with perfect balance, he was strolling across the yard. And a moment later, out from the door of the farmhouse, came a long file of pigs, all walking on their hind legs. Some did it better than others. One or two were even a trifle unsteady and looked as though they would have liked the support of a stick. But every one of them made his way right round the yard successfully. And finally, there was a tremendous baying of dogs and a shrill crowing from the black cockerel, and out came Napoleon himself, majestically upright, casting haughty glances from side to side and with his dogs gambling round him. He carried a whip in his trotter. There was a deadly silence. Amazed, terrified, huddling together, the animals watched the long line of pigs march slowly round the yard. It was as though the world had turned upside down. Then there came a moment when the first shock had worn off, and when, in spite of everything, in spite of their terror of the dogs and of the habit developed through long years of never complaining, never criticising, no matter what happened, they might have uttered some word of protest. But just at that moment, as though at a signal, all the sheep burst out into a tremendous bleating of four legs good, two legs better, four legs good. Two legs better. Is that what Four they were rehearsing? Legs good. Mm-hmm. Two legs better. Yes, that was what they were rehearsing. This seems to be a lot of organisation, just literally to have an excuse to walk so on they two could legs. Have a little I fashion show. Yeah, why didn't build a catwalk? Yeah. <laughs> well, particularly if he's walking with pig a whip walk. as well, it definitely sounds very kind of like you know, dominatrix pig. Yeah, who's been naughty? <laughs> <laughs> You put the pig in PVC. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be weird if it was made of leather. Oh, Oh, yeah. Uh, No, 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 no. no. 
It went on for five minutes without stopping, and by the time the sheep had quieted down, the chance to utter any protest had passed, for the pigs had marched back into the farmhouse. Benjamin felt a nose nuzzling at his shoulder. He looked round. It was Clover. Her old eyes looked dimmer than ever. Without saying anything, she tugged gently at his mane and led him round to the end of the big barn, where the seven commandments were written. For a minute or two they stood, gazing at the tattered wall with its white lettering. My sight is failing, she said finally. Even when I was young I could not have read what was written there, but it appears to me that that wall looks different. Are the seven commandments the same as they used to be, Benjamin? For once, Benjamin consented to break his rule, and he read out to her what was written on the wall. There was nothing there now, except a single commandment. It ran, All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. After that, it did not seem strange when next day the pigs, who were supervising the work of the farm, all carried whips in their trotters. It did not seem strange to learn that the pigs had bought themselves a wireless set, were arranging to install a telephone, and had taken out subscriptions to John Bull, Titbits, and the Daily Mirror. <laughs> they're, leading, they're reading like the latest gossip about like yeah. <laughs> Love Island. Loving it. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're doing all the competitions to win a holiday to Malaga. Yeah. <laughs> like. It did not seem strange when Napoleon was seen strolling in the farmhouse garden with a pipe in his mouth. No, not even when the pigs took Mr. Jones' clothes out of the wardrobes and put them on. Napoleon himself appearing in a black coat, rat-catcher breeches and leather leggings, while his favourite sow appeared in a watered silk dress which Mrs. Jones had been used to wearing on Sundays. Oh, this is a oh, sight, isn't it? Now? That pig in a dress must have looked horrendous. I, like, mean, I, mean, I, I don't know, yeah, a silk dress, what do we imagine? Like sort of like a slip? Oh. He's not going to look or like, like something piggy. a bit more voluptuous. Something yeah. a little off the shoulder, I reckon. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, she'll be trying to walk upright as well. Oh dear. Yeah. It's absolute mess. <laughs> like the chest size of this pig. Like. Mm. Yeah, Mrs. Jones. You must have been a busty sizable. woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, I mean. Mr. Jones, a twenty-five stone pig. Like. Yeah. You'd have to be a pretty big man. He's going to be busting out of those leather <laughs> leggings, isn't he? <laughs> you get all his clothes off Giacomo, doesn't Yeah. <laughs> a week later, in the afternoon, a number of dog carts drove up to the farm. A deputation of neighbouring farmers had been invited to make a tour of inspection. They were shown all over the farm and expressed great admiration for everything they saw, especially the windmill. The animals were weeding the turnip field. They worked diligently, hardly... Oh, no, sorry. There should be a comma there, I reckon. Ignore me. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> have you had that, have you had that in there from episode weeks. one? Or... <laughs> no, I, I, I've always known that joke, but it's not come out. So I'm, I mean, I'm glad you saved it for chapter 10, actually. Something mm. special about that. They worked diligently, hardly raising their faces from the ground and not knowing whether to be more frightened of the pigs or of the human visitors. That evening, loud laughter and bursts of singing came from the farmhouse and suddenly, at the sound of the mingled voices, the animals were stricken with curiosity. What could be happening in there? Now that, for the first time, animals and human beings were meeting on terms of equality, with one accord they began to creep as quietly as possible into the farmhouse garden. At the gate they paused, half frightened to go on, but Clover led the way in. They tiptoed up to the house, and such animals as were tall enough peered in at the dining room window. 
There, round the long table, sat half a dozen farmers and half a dozen of the more eminent pigs, Napoleon himself occupying the seat of honour at the head of the table. The pigs appeared completely at ease in their chairs. The company had been enjoying a game of cards, but had broken off for the moment, evidently in order to drink a toast. A large jug was circulating, and the mugs were being refilled with beer. No one noticed the wandering faces of the animals that gazed in at the window. Mr. Pilkington of Foxwood had stood up, his mug in his hand. In a moment, he said, he would ask the present company to drink a toast. But before doing so, there were a few words that he felt it incumbent upon him to say. It was a source of great satisfaction to him, he said, and he was sure to all others present to feel that a long period of mistrust and misunderstanding had now come to an end. There had been a time, not that he or any of the present company had shared such sentiments, but there had been a time when the respected proprietors of Animal Farm had been regarded, he would not say with hostility, but perhaps with a certain measure of misgiving by their human neighbours. Unfortunate incidents had occurred, mistaken ideas had been current. It had been felt that the existence of a farm owned and operated by the pigs was somehow abnormal and was liable to have an unsettling effect in the neighbourhood. Too many farmers had assumed, without due inquiry, that on such a farm a spirit of licence and indiscipline would prevail. They had been nervous about the effects upon their own animals, or even upon their human employees. But all such doubts were now dispelled. Today, he and his friends had visited Animal Farm and inspected every inch of it with their own eyes. And what did they find? Not only the most up-to-date methods, but a discipline and an orderliness which should be an example to all farmers everywhere. He believed that he was right in saying that the lower animals on Animal Farm did more work and received less food than any animals in the country. Indeed, he and his fellow visitors today had observed many features which they intended to introduce on their own farms immediately. He would end his remarks, he said, by emphasising once again the friendly feelings that subsisted, and ought to subsist, between Animal Farm and its neighbours. Between pigs and human beings, there was not, and there need not be, any clash of interests whatever. Their struggles and their difficulties were one. Was not the labour problem the same everywhere? Here it became apparent that Mr Pilkington was about to spring some carefully prepared witticism on the company, but for a moment he was too overcome by amusement to be able to utter it. After much choking, during which his various chins turned purple, he managed to get it out. Oh, Mr. Pilkington hasn't ever said anything, has he? No, he hasn't. Well, he does now. He does indeed. Could you just make him ridiculously, like, Cornish? Like, (laughs) Like in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, yeah, need yeah. A translation. They do the translation. Yeah. <laughs> do I need to therefore offer the translation? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do the do it. Do, do like do a ramble. Does he does he do does he do loads? Because obviously we, he does, we don't want to have a monologue and translate the monologue. Because no, it's know. not it's not huge amounts. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> so I'm going to do it all twice. Great. Thanks. After much choking, during which his various chins turned purple, he managed to get it out. Who have a look down in pretend with? We are our low classin. And what he meant by that was, if you have your lower animals to contend with, we have our lower classes. This bon mot set the table in a roar, and Mr. Pilkington once again congratulated the pigs on the low rations, the long working hours, and the general absence of pampering, which he had observed on Animal Farm. <laughs> and now... <laughs> He said, finally, he would ask the company to rise to their feet and make certain that their glasses were full. And by that, he meant... I got Animal Farm at the end. Gentlemen, 
Gentlemen, I give you a toast to the prosperity of Animal Farm. There was enthusiastic cheering and stamping of feet. Napoleon was so gratified that he left his place and came round the table to clink his mug against Mr. Pilkington's before emptying it. When the cheering had died down, Napoleon, who had remained on his feet, intimated that he too had a few words to say. Like all of Napoleon's speeches, it was short and to the point. He too, he said, was happy that the period of misunderstanding was at an end. For a long time there had been rumours, circulated, he had reason to think, by some malignant enemy, that there was something subversive and even revolutionary in the outlook of himself and his colleagues. They had been credited with attempting to stir up rebellion among the animals on neighbouring farms. Nothing could be further from the truth. Their sole wish, now and in the past, was to live at peace and in normal business relations with their neighbours. This farm, which he had the honour to control, he added, was a cooperative enterprise. The title deeds were in his own possession, were owned by the pigs jointly. He did not believe, he said, that any of the old suspicions still lingered. But certain changes had been made recently in the routine of the farm, which should have the effect of promoting confidence still further. Hitherto, the animals on the farm had had a rather foolish custom of addressing one another as comrade. This was to be suppressed. There had also been a very strange custom, whose origin was unknown, of marching every Sunday morning past a boar's skull, which was nailed to a post in the garden. This too would be suppressed, and the skull had already been buried. His visitors might have observed, too, the green flag which flew from the masthead. If so, they would perhaps have noticed that the white hoof and horn with which it had previously been marked had now been removed. It would be a plain green flag from now onwards. He had only one criticism, he said, to make of Mr. Pilkington's excellent and neighbourly speech. Mr. Pilkington had referred throughout to Animal Farm. He could not know, of course, for he, Napoleon, was only now for the first time announcing it, that the name Animal Farm had been abolished. Henceforward, the farm was to be known as the Manor Farm, which he believed was its correct and original name. Basically, what's happened here is Napoleon's gone, I'm in charge now, and I don't want anyone even thinking of rebellion. So I'm going to erase every single piece of a rebellion that animal Let's farm. obliterate history entirely, and I'll just adopt the Jones rule yep. as was originally mm -hmm. planned. Because the flag, the hoof, and the horn represented the strength of animals, and he doesn't want the animals to know they're strong because he's in charge. He doesn't want them challenging him. He doesn't want the farm to be called Animal Farm. He wants it to be called Manor Farm because he doesn't want animals having any claim over it because it's his as far as he's concerned. It's not theirs. I'm interested in the, the sort of praise that the other the farm owners like lash on and it's kind of like these sort of big capitalist countries um just fight it, it's acceptable to sort of use the cheap labor of the different countries or to like think that's acceptable but still think you're really good because you're a capitalist but essentially you're still just as bad as this this other place that is uh sort of demonstratively uh doing bad practices so it's like oh all the good bits like you're making money um but all the all the bad bits those those are good aspects because we're making money so that they feel, I feel like that rings true a little bit. I well, I think it also kind of runs even deeper than that. I mean, we kind of get in slightly ahead of ourselves, but this dinner is meant to be a parallel of the Tehran conference in which uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt and Winston Churchill and Stalin met to talk about world peace after World War II. Mm -hmm. And basically all we'll hear is kind of trying to mock everybody who was involved in that showing how a lot of people in the West basically sought to get rich through working with the Soviet Union. But what it also kind of suggests is, you know, you've got Pilkington praising Napoleon on the subservient nature of the animals and his overall unquestioned dominion over the farm. And what it kind of shows is that there's an appeal 
of totalitarianism to all world leaders. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, Winston Churchill actually considered fascism as a viable method of ruling before eventually turning against Hitler and Stalin. Fascism in this time was seen as a potential way of running a country. Yeah. So there is this slight appeal and desire to model their own governments after these because they see the benefit of it to them as leaders because yeah. they go napoleon's walking around as lord of all but what's also interesting as well is that i'd say you know you only have to look at say a certain mr donald trump who was definitely a dictator in training or in wanting i should say yeah. and who did he cozy up to other dictators yeah basically oh hi mr putin oh hi mr kim jong-un in why because and, com and yeah complimented certain things they did yeah because he wanted that level of control in his own country he admired the fact that these men had unquestioned power and he wanted it yeah I mean, we're just lucky that, that Trump never got smart enough to walk on two legs. Otherwise, it would have been real. <laughs> to be fair, he, he does look a little like a, a pig in human clothes. Mm. So there's that as well. Gentlemen, concluded Napoleon, I will give you the same toast as before, but in a very different form. Fill your glasses to the brim, gentlemen. Here is my toast to the prosperity of the manor farm. There was the same hearty cheering as before, and the mugs were emptied to the dregs. But as the animals outside gazed at the scene, it seemed to them that some strange thing was happening. What was it that had altered in the faces of the pigs? Clover's old dim eyes flitted from one face to another, some of them had five chins, some had four, some had three. But what was it that seemed to be melting and changing? Then, the applause having come to an end, the company took up their cards and continued the game that had been interrupted, and the animals crept silently away. But they had not gone twenty yards when they stopped short. An uproar of voices was coming from the farmhouse. They rushed back and looked through the window again. Yes, a violent quarrel was in progress. There were shoutings, bangings on the table, sharp, suspicious glances, furious denials. The source of the trouble appeared to be that Napoleon and Mr. Pilkington had each played an ace of spades simultaneously. <laughs> Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. End of book. Oh! No! There oh, it is. I'm so disappointed. Full trans the, the transition ah, is complete. The circle has been drawn. But I wanted them to get overthrown. I wanted the animals to rise up. Well, you better start on the sequel then, eh? Because oh, it ain't going to happen here. That is such a, like, disappointing ending. Because it is literally, well, it's kind of as Benjamin said, these things are cyclical and it just keeps going around. You just end up back where you started every time. Are you annoyed that there was no arc to snowball? Yeah, they just sort of said disregarded him as lost. I kind of like yeah. the idea that he he created some. I mean, it would be a longer book, but even just a little summary of uh, news was carried from a pigeon that snowball had worked on another farm where it was all harmonious and they held trotters and danced around in a circle, or something. <laughs> <laughs> like this utopia. Yeah. Or something that there is an alternative, but it, it, it just it, it does. It does end about as bleak as it could possibly be. But I think it's um, because didn't Trotsky, who Snowball's meant to represent, just end up dying in Europe and kind of was forgotten. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, right. So I think I think yeah. might, I think I don't I'm not sure if that definitely happened to him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Trotsky ended up kind of exiled. And then just looking it up here, Trotsky death. Here you go. Oh, he was assassinated oh. in Mexico. <laughs> 
Of all the places, all not places. Europe at and all. And then he got eaten in a burrito. <laughs> yeah. Oh, He's pulled, pulled. <laughs> So that's probably what happened. So if it's a case that the snowball died, then maybe that's, oh, marked for death by Joseph Stalin, 60-year-old intellectual architect of the Russian Revolution, knew that neither the armed guns patrolling the hide walls of his Mexico City compound nor even the thousands of miles of land and sea stretched between him and Moscow could completely protect him from the Soviet dictator's deadly reach. Of course, a good paragraph, isn't it? Oh, tasty. Yeah. So he got assassinated. He got assassinated. So obviously, obviously bleak, but uh, there is definitely a, a closure there that seems kind of oddly appropriate. It would. I, I can't really, as much as you might like the story to continue or there to be little offshoots, I can't really, it kind of has to end that way for me. It, mm. it, nothing, you know, it has to. I think um, the thing going back to quickly to Snowball is, is that just reading how Trotsky died, like 20 gunmen broke into the compound and like, sorry, I would have loved to have seen some kind of pig assassin ninja movie scene where Napoleon sends like assassins after snowball and like they're all in black oh, yeah there, there's some ducks crawling along am <laughs> <Yeah>. like, um, <laughs> telephone wire it's <laughs> basically <laughs> a deleted scene from kung fu panda mission <laughs> impossible yeah <laughs> that would have been such a good scene <laughs> and they just shoot snowball like a hundred times yeah it's like <laughs> just bleeds out and it just zooms, out, and zooms out on his bedroom floor yeah like sort of very much tarantino style yeah, and then his blood forms into the trotter and horn signal on the floor. Yeah, and the, floor. Ooh, and the credits great. roll. Made to black. <laughs> I definitely think there's a lot of sort other material that we could create from Animal Farm. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that nobody... I mean, maybe now that it's out of like copyright, maybe... Because people do create their own fiction based on others. I yeah. don't know. I mean, I've seen movie versions of this, and the movie version I remember seeing, Benjamin does actually end up leading a new revolution against the pigs really so i was kind of half expecting that to happen but kind of wasn't sure if it definitely happened because i knew that that was like an adaptation of the book yeah so obviously someone's had creative license and decided to add that bit because they obviously felt like we needed that closure of the bad guys didn't win whereas in orwell's one the bad guys won but then that's what happened in real life stalin won yeah but in in a lot of ways they got to the point where, as you said, they, they were so beaten into submission, they didn't even question the one commandment. They don't even really remember what was going on. And so they're probably like, do you know what? This is, this is what it is. This is, it. This is life. This mm. is okay. So it's not as if, you know, there were many people left who were, you know, bitterly resenting them or, or, or mm. wallowing in the old times. I don't know. What's crazy is, is that like you look at Russia today and you can kind of almost still see the, the remnants or like the the culture and the biology of the country is kind of very similar even now under Putin in terms of mm. um, the subjugation of the people and all the rest of it. It's like, it's quite amazing that like Stalin's rule was so absolute that almost the country still functions the same way, even without him and needed another strong man in inverted commas to almost just feel the void that he left. Yeah. Indeed. But there you go. I mean, it was a very interesting book. I actually really enjoyed the political depth of it. Yeah, I, think I know we, it's been quite heavy going, but we explored more than we thought. I, yeah. I, I just I thought it was going to be very like it's like oh this is this is about communism, but it went so far beyond that. Obviously, most yeah. of the insight was from young Matthew, but that's that was great because I learned a lot. Um, and yeah, the, the I don't I don't imagine George Orwell even imagined how many parallels would continue to be drawn I, I was i wonder if he thought well this is this is now but obviously in the future it'll be all it'll be all different but yeah that even parallels that he probably didn't intend to draw yeah with the with the sort of the science of politics and power that it's trying to portray mm. so it's, that's quite an amazing sort of thing to think about really mm. it's definitely a novel that's like stood the test of time it's as relevant today as it was when it was written and it probably will be for no, the next bit. 50 years or whatever anyway like i don't i don't really see its relevance ever um well and it, it's it's again maybe he's done the file because it's like i think this can be timeless mm. because it's carefully not like i know this was written in 1943 
but in my head it's kind of now obviously they don't have like but like the technology is not that important to it and stuff so yeah it is it, it could be 1825 or it could be 2106 yeah um, and i'm guessing you will still have farms with animals on and yeah you know so that's that's a really clever thing to have done because it, it, it if any other if any other sort of um analogy or allegory was used it could have could have been in danger of being like, oh, well, this feels really dated. I'm finding yeah. it hard to read. Well, for the very last time, we're looking at lit charts for this book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> <laughs> There's only actually one thing that I wanted to pull out because we kind of already mentioned the Tehran conference earlier. Yeah. And it's just regarding the overwriting of the Seven Commandments. So it says, the current text of the Seven Commandments is pretty meaningless. It corrupts the meaning of equal by making it clear that they don't actually mean that anyone is equal, no matter what the word actually means. Because of this, however, the pigs are able to make it mean whatever they want it to. In this case, they use it to justify their rule and to justify wearing clothes. Now, what kind of jumps out in that is is the spinning of particular words or phrases to make them mean what you want them to mean as a ruling class person in order to enact some kind of control now the pigs in this instance are obviously using the word equal if if everyone's equal then you can't be more equal how can someone be more equal than equal do you know what I mean everyone's either equal or they're not and what came to mind with this was our government's ruling this week that the UK is not institutionally racist, despite the fact that the same report also reported that minority people are more likely to face prejudice in the workplace and at employment and at interviews if they have an ethnic name or if someone suspects that they are a person of colour before, you know, just from the CV. Also, let's look at the fact that, what, two years ago, we had the Windrush scandal, mm. something that was at its very core institutionalized racism. So how can we therefore not be institutionally racist and there not be any institutional racism when straight away we have seen two examples of institutionalized racism? But what they've done is they've basically said that Racism that happens at employment level is down to the individual who reads that CV. Therefore, it's individual racism, not institutional racism. So it's the semantics of it that basically work around. So let's ignore the fact that the current ruling class perpetuate and create this system as the pigs have done. They create a system that they benefit from and enact it and reinforce it and maintain it. Let's ignore that and make it down to an individual's choice instead, because that gets around and means that we then don't have to discuss the issues at the very core of this system, which we don't want to discuss because it benefits us. Yeah. So still happens today still happens today so if you've got any thoughts or you can't do that <laughs> it's my podcast i can do what i want that's true <laughs> i am napoleon <laughs> So if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Uh, or if you've got any more two cents to add to this lovely conversation, do it on Twitter, the little blue bird. And our handle is at lazybookclubpod. And if you want to uh, send us a picture of Donald Trump on all fours or looking like a pig, so just basically a normal <laughs> picture of him, you can do that on Instagram yeah. at lazybookclubpod. <laughs> <laughs> we're also now on patreon which is also at lazy book club pod i've had a few people asking how you actually work patreon so if you want to listen to the patreon or join the patreon you can download the patreon app and sign up then you click on our page and make the subscription it costs you three dollars a month and you get an extra episode every month and also you get to see the video 
of the latest episodes as well because we record the video of the calls. Basically, once you've become a Patreon and you click on the link, it will take you to our private RSS feed, which allows you to access the podcast in your normal podcast app. So you don't have to actually listen to it through the Patreon app. Once you've subscribed to it, you can then listen in Pocket Casts or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. Yeah, it sounds to me like the sort of digital 2021 equivalent of pulling the book from the bookshelf and then the whole bookshelf flips around and you've got a special room you didn't even know you had. Yes, it's the You're in a whole labyrinth. That's exactly. it. Exactly. But I guess if people are having problems, just like drop us a DM or a message and I'm sure one of us can give you a give a yeah. little hand because yeah. we want your money because Matt was quite a whip. <laughs> <laughs> was quite a whip for his hooves. <laughs> Is this going to be our um, challenge for the epilogue episode now that we're videoing them to come dressed as one of the characters <laughs> from the book? Fancy <laughs> dress epilogues. That's what we should do. Yeah. The sow. <laughs> now, now you really need to sign up for the Patreon if it's the case that you're going to see three grown men dressed up as farm animals. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so next week we have our epilogue episode where we'll be going through the facts and some of the themes of the book. And we'll also have, of course, our end of book quiz. Come on. Uh, I believe, am I winning? I, I don't. I'm winning. <laughs> you might be. You might. You not do be. care. That's why you don't care because you're not winning. <laughs> I very much care, and I'm not winning. I might try and do some. I might actually try and do some research for some, you some homework. I, well, I'm not in work at the moment because oh. I'm having my um, holidays off term. Bring it, David. So like, Bring yeah, it. but then wouldn't it be really bad if I like actually tried and still came third? <laughs> yeah. Don't like, tell us that you sweated up. Just do it on this on the slides. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's just going to be having like some revision. quick notes. He's got like, some notes on the side, ready, ready to go. Yeah. It'll, just, it'll just be like, sorry, just hang on a minute. I just need to. Yeah, no, I got that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can join us next week for that. And we will also be announcing our next book as well. So you don't want to miss that. I hope you all had a happy Easter because obviously it's after Easter that this will come out. Unless you're listening to this in like six and a half years time. Yes. <laughs> in which case it's... Happy Christmas 2027. <laughs> Whatever your nearest uh, public holiday is, happy that. Enjoy. Yes, exactly yeah. that. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.